You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, we're going to go ahead and begin a new series on the prophet Nahum. Now, this is a very short book, but it's kind of like Jonah part two. Uh, Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached, he proclaimed, they repented, faith was given as a gift from God, the Holy Spirit worked in their hearts through the word of the prophet. But now we have about a hundred years have passed and Nineveh has changed. Nineveh no longer is turned toward the Lord. They are turned away. This time, the prophet Nahum is sent, and this time it's not good news for Nineveh. This is going to be bad news. Good news for the people of God because they will be delivered from all of the destruction that the Assyrian Empire has placed upon them. Now, when we look at the book of Nineveh, what we want to see in particular is uh, two verses that we kind of want to have as, as a theme, theme verses in the plural, if you will. The first one is found in chapter 1 at verse 7, which reads, Yahweh is good, a refuge in the day of distress, and he knows those who seek shelter in him. Now, of course, this is uh, my translation. But notice that Yahweh is good. So that's our confession of faith. And so as the people of God, we confess that Yahweh is good and that Yahweh is the one that we are to look to in the day of distress. He's the one that we're to run to as a refuge. We're to seek shelter in him. And the good news is he knows those who seek shelter in him. So that's a promise that we have in who our God is, the God who comes to deliver us from all types of death and destruction, even destruction from his hand because of sin. So every time we see a judgment handed out to humanity throughout the Old Testament, this sets our eyes upon the final judgment when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. He will gather all the nations as a shepherd gathers sheep and separates the goats. But it is in Christ who we take refuge. We run to him in the day of trouble. We run to him in the day of judgment. So that right now we know that he is our mediator, our high priest. He's the one who continues to comfort us. He continues to forgive us. He continues to stand with us and to stand for us. So today, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we turn to the Lord and we rejoice that he is the refuge. He is our shelter. Now, in the last day, it will be too late. There will be no shelter. There will be no refuge. On the last day, there will be judgment. And that's when he will separate the sheep from the goats. But of course, the sheep are those who know the voice of the shepherd. Now, how do his sheep know his voice? 
Well, he knows his own and he knows his sheep and he sends prophets to preach and to proclaim his voice. That the prophets of old were the mouthpiece of God so that we could be certain and sure we were hearing the voice of God. For posterity's sake and future generations, the prophets wrote down their words so that we could know the voice of the shepherd. He sent them to speak his word, and in unison with voice with the prophets of old are the apostles and the evangelists of the New Testament. So the prophetic word given in the days of the Old Testament scriptures is continued into the days of the New Testament scriptures in the apostolic office of preaching. So we have the written text of the New Testament and Old Testament scriptures so that we can know the voice of our shepherd, for he knows those who seek shelter in him. So the other verse that we want to look at is kind of a theme verse. So two theme verses, if you will, for the book of Nahum is in verse 15, the last verse of chapter 1 in your English version of the Bible, or if you're looking at the Hebrew, it'd be the first verse of the second chapter. So in the English Bible, this is chapter 1, verse 15. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of the one who proclaims the gospel, who publishes peace. Celebrate your festival celebrations, Judah. Fulfill your vows, for he will never again pass through you. The wicked one has been completely cut off. Now, this is the good news, the good news to God's people, the gospel of our salvation. So the ones who proclaim this gospel, the ones who publish this peace, these are the preachers, the men who've been placed into that preaching office, the prophetic office of the Old Testament scriptures, where the prophets spoke in person, verbally to the people that were gathered by God's word, the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. And of course, in that written scripture, he continues to work. The same Holy Spirit that inspired the prophets of old continues to work with his written word in our day as we hear that word. And he continues to work in the successors of the prophets and the apostles in the preaching office. The men who have been placed there with the feet, the feet of a messenger to proclaim the gospel and to publish peace. Not the peace of the world, but peace with God. Peace in the conscience. That Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of the conscience. He assures us that God has taken care of our sin. In fact, God himself took upon flesh and blood, and the one who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So now when we combine these two verses here throughout the book of Nahum, notice that we are declaring that Yahweh is good. The prophets declared this. They proclaimed this. They revealed this good news to us, that God is good. But not just any God. Our God, the living God, the creator of all things, the one who is the redeemer of all things, Yahweh, the one who delivered the Israelites from the house of slavery in Egypt, redeeming them, showing forth the redemption that he would bring when he would come to us in his body and in his blood to redeem us from the slavery to sin so that he would win us as his own people and live under him in his kingdom.
So this is the good news that Yahweh is good. He is a refuge in the day of distress. He is a shelter that we are to seek, and he knows those who seek shelter in him. The shepherd knows his own, and his own sheep know his voice. They go where he goes. He's the one who lays down his life for his sheep, and he's the one who takes it up again. And then he sends out the feet, the messengers upon the mountains to proclaim the gospel and to publish peace. And so that good news and that message of celebration and salvation means that the one who has been troubling us, that's the devil. The one who tries to enslave us in sin and the fear of death, he's been defeated. He is a defeated foe. Christ is victorious. Christ has risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. Alleluia. Now, let's go ahead and take a look at the prophet Nahum. Now, the first order of business is we want to put this in its historical context. Remember, as I said at the beginning here, Nahum is kind of like Jonah part two or the redo. This is taking place about a hundred years later. In fact, what's happening here is Nineveh has become the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Remember back in Isaiah chapter 7, when King Ahaz, king of Judah, was concerned that northern Israel and Syria were in league together to throw him off the throne, and he goes and he's shaken like a leaf in the forest, and Isaiah tries to give him that word of peace that the Lord is the one to take refuge in, seek shelter in him. But remember, King Ahaz says, oh, no. And remember, it was the prophet Isaiah who was sent to King Ahaz to give him peace, to publish peace, to proclaim the gospel, the good news of salvation in redemption. But it was King Ahaz who would not listen to the voice of God through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. So when Isaiah says, ask Yahweh uh, for a sign, King Ahaz said, "Uh, I don't do such things. I would not put Yahweh to the test. (laughs) It's utterly ridiculous that King Ahaz would be so superficial to pretend like he would not put Yahweh to the test when King Ahaz is the one who introduced all these new forms of worship in the way of his contemporaries, introducing idolatry, which again is worship without God's word. Remember, he's the one who shuts the whole temple up so that the Israelites cannot worship in accordance with God's word. That's King Ahaz who says, I wouldn't tempt the Lord with a sign. But it's in Isaiah chapter 7 where the prophet gives him the sign. And so, He was not going to listen to the sign, so the prophet gives the sign to the house of David. He proclaims the gospel. He publishes peace. And he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel, which of course means God with us. This is the message of salvation. The Savior would come to save us from our sins. And for this reason, his name is Jesus. Well, this is kind of the the context of, of how these events are taking place. Because what happens here when you have uh, Syria and northern Israel in league with each other? Well, it's the Assyrian Empire that's brought in to put an end to this. But when the Assyrian Empire comes in, 
They also put an end to Syria and northern Israel. Northern Israel falls in 722, 721 BC. But it's that same kingdom, the empire of Assyria, that will trouble Judah. So later on, approximately 20 years later, Assyria invades Judah, going to the capital city of Jerusalem. Now, at this time, of course, you do not have King Ahaz on the throne of David. Instead, you have his son, King Hezekiah. And if you remember, just like King Ahaz was troubled in his conscience with these external events that were taking place, he was afraid that he was going to be thrown off his throne. Well, Hezekiah is having the same conflict in his conscience because it's the Rabshakeh, the one who is speaking on behalf of the king of Assyria, saying that Yahweh sent him to destroy Jerusalem, that Jerusalem's in his hand, and that Hezekiah should open up the gates and allow the good Assyrians to come in because they're going to bring wealth and prosperity to the land of Judah. (laughs) Well, we know Isaiah again gives the word of comfort now to King Hezekiah, explaining that Yahweh is not handing over Jerusalem to Assyria. In fact, Assyria will not be able to take Jerusalem which is precisely the case. So that invasion ends. But now here we have later on in the book of Nahum. So this is after that event where Nahum is sent to Nineveh. And this is the capital city of Assyria. And this is where Yahweh will speak truly through his true prophet, not through a false prophet like the Rabshakeh who claims to speak in behalf of Yahweh. So this is kind of the whole background in the the whole events that are taking place that are leading up to this time. In Nahum, the prophet is sent to deal with Assyria. Assyria has gotten out of control. Yes, God uses the kingdoms of this earth to punish the kingdoms of this earth. But now Assyria must be punished. The city of Nineveh will be overthrown. Not Jerusalem, but it will be Nineveh. So in the book of Nahum, we see the whole purpose laid out for us in the very opening verse, in which we read an oracle concerning Nineveh. Now, this oracle, is this is a message of of judgment. This is a message of destruction. And so now we have this oracle concerning Nineveh. It is the scroll of the vision of Nahum, the Elkushite. The city of Nineveh has reverted back to its old ways, living in the darkness rather than the light of God's word. So Assyria itself, this kingdom of the earth, will be punished by another kingdom of the earth. That's the Babylonian Empire. The capital city of the Assyrians will be demolished by the Babylonians. Now, here's that opening line. After we know kind of this background of what's going on here, that this is an oracle, now we get to the opening words. Verse 2, Yahweh is a jealous God, an avenger. Yahweh is an avenger and a master of wrath. Yahweh is an avenger against his foes, and he is a rage ranger against his enemies. All right, now we want to meditate upon this verse itself. And first of all, the first thing that we want to do 
is notice that the name Yahweh is spoken three times. This, of course, is going to bear witness to the Holy Trinity, the plurality of persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So three times we have the name of Yahweh, and three times we learn that Yahweh is an avenger. The first time, Yahweh is a jealous God and an avenger. Now, this terminology of Yahweh being jealous, this is zealous. He's zealous for Zion. It goes back to the book of Exodus in the Ten Commandments. So when you have in the book of Exodus chapter 20 at verse 5, when we are told that we are not to have any other gods, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, we are told specifically that you shall not bow down to these things that you make. You will not serve these things that you've made from your own imagination. And the rationale why is because I am Yahweh, your God, a jealous God. Punishing the guilt of the parents on the children, the sons, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Now, that's that rationale. The reason why is because God is a jealous God. He cannot stand to have his people fall in love with false lovers. There is only one God. There is only one true God. Now, Israel is going to be tempted to make gods in their own image and likeness, just like their contemporaries do, just like they do in the land of Canaan in their fertility cults, trying to appease their deities, trying to make their gods merciful by their meritorious works. But God is going to be jealous for his people. He cannot stand to have them unite themselves, join in union with false gods. Of course, behind every false god is the doctrine of demons, the teaching of the devil, lying and deceiving, leading us away and astray from God's word. So when you go back to the Ten Commandments, you know that when Moses gives us this command, that we are to have no other god, we are to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, not to cling to the things of this earth, not to cling to fallen creation trying to make and mold God in our own image and likeness out of gold or silver so that we can manipulate him with our hands and what we do with our works. Instead, we are to have the true God because he has delivered us out of slavery in Egypt. I am Yahweh who has delivered you out of the house of slavery in Egypt. That's the confession of faith. That's who Yahweh is. He's the one who delivers from the tyrants. The tyrant in Egypt the tyrant in Assyria. And of course, behind all these kingdoms of the earth that are trying to prevent God's kingdom from coming is the devil himself. So remember when the Rabshakeh was trying to hinder God's kingdom from coming. How do you hinder God's kingdom from coming? Preventing people from hearing God's word. God's word comes with his kingdom through which the Holy Spirit is given and hearts are converted. Eyes are open to see and ears are open to hear the clear voice of God. Well, it's a Rabshaka who's trying to hinder God's kingdom from coming. He's misleading the people of God. He's telling them not to believe that Yahweh's going to deliver them. He was distorting and manipulating God's word to mean whatever he wanted it to mean. You see, the Rabshaka is speaking on behalf of the king of Assyria, the tyrant of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was a very brutal empire to its enemies. 
And of course, behind all the kingdoms of the earth trying to prevent God's kingdom from coming, with his word, is the devil, the deceiver from of old, the one who's always giving us that question of doubt. Did God really say that? So when the Israelites are confessing Yahweh, they're confessing Yahweh is the God who enters into his creation, the creator who comes to redeem and to restore, the one who comes to deliver us from slavery to sin, deliver us from the tyranny of these earthly kingdoms trying to plug our ears and close our eyes. For this is what the devil does. He's the one who blinds the eyes of the world so that they cannot hear the word of truth, and they cannot receive the spirit of truth. The word of truth is given to us in the voice of the prophets, the ones who are sent to reveal the truth. And so you go back to Moses, and he is delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. He's the instrumental means through which God is using to speak his word so that God would deliver his people out with his word the word of power, the word that changes hearts to believe. And so Moses leads the Israelites out and he speaks that word of the Ten Commandments, that God is a jealous God. Later on in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses leads them up to the promised land, but he doesn't go into the promised land, Joshua is the one who will succeed him and will take them into the promised land. But it's in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is giving kind of a a second telling of the Ten Commandments. The book of Deuteronomy is kind of like Exodus part two or volume two. It's the sequel, kind of like with Jonah and with Nahum. But it's in the book of Deuteronomy where the second telling of the Ten Commandments is now in chapter five. But before chapter five, back in chapter four, Moses frames it in this way at verses 23 and 24, chapter four. Watch out for yourself so that you do not forget the covenant Yahweh your God has made with you. And then you decide to make for yourselves images in the form of anything that Yahweh your God has forbidden. Because Yahweh your God is a devouring fire, a jealous God. So notice that God is jealous. And so in this word of commandment here, Moses is warning the people not to fall into the temptation of idolatry. That's worship without God's word. The God is jealous. So in a warning, he is jealous. And then later on in Deuteronomy chapter 6, after you have, Hear, O Israel, uh, our God, Yahweh, Yahweh is one. Then we are told at verse 15, For Yahweh your God is a jealous God in your midst. So therefore, in verse 14, you shall not go after other gods from the gods of the peoples who are all around you. And so the rationale, again, is that Yahweh is a jealous God. So both times you have this warning to the people of God that he is jealous. He cannot stand that you would fall for false lovers. For this idolatry is a spiritual adultery. God is the husband and the people of God, Israel, is the bride. So that's the picture that we have of Christ in the church, the husband who gives up his life for his wife, who makes her holy with his holiness, cleansing her, washing her, taking away all the blemishes and the stains. We have this understanding of jealous. To be jealous, to be clear, is not something that is sinful. 
God is jealous because he cannot stand. He's impassioned. He's, he's passionate. He's passionate for his people that he doesn't want them to fall for the tricks of the devil and to be deceived. So he is a jealous God. And so when we see this in both Exodus and Deuteronomy, that he's a jealous God, and now Nahum is going back to that, but he's speaking these words. And so in these words, they kind of come twofold. The words that God is jealous, Yahweh is a jealous God, is a warning against falling into idolatry. But at the same time, this word jealous also means zealous. So when the people of God have fallen into idolatry, they have been led astray and led away by Assyria. God is jealous. He is jealous for Jerusalem. He is zealous for Zion. So he's going to go out and make things right. He's going to go get his wife back. He's not going to let this false lover destroy the redemption that he comes to bring. And so when Yahweh is a jealous God, it's a word of warning to his people. But now when this word is spoken against Nineveh, the people who have led the Israelites astray, he is zealous for his people. So this becomes good news for God's people that he is jealous, but he is zealous for them. And so he's going to be the avenger. He will bring vengeance. He will separate his people from the idolatry that they have fallen into. And the ones who brought the idolatry will be punished. This is Assyria. In a similar way, this is what happened in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were deceived by the devil, God came in and he separated Satan from Adam and Eve. And he gave Adam and Eve the promise of the seed, the offspring, the son of God who would be born of a virgin, just like in the book of Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive that this son, this seed would crush the serpent's head. And so back in the book of Genesis, when God gives his promise, he's actually speaking the words against the serpent. So he separates the serpent from his people, speaks these words against the serpent, saying that the seed of the woman's going to crush your head. But at the same time, that's good news for the people of God. They have been delivered from the slavery of the serpent, from Satan. And so that word that's spoken against Satan is a good word that is overheard and spoken to Adam and Eve. So in a very similar way here, Nahum comes to bring this oracle, this message of destruction on Nineveh, saying Yahweh is a jealous God and an avenger. And so again, he says Yahweh is an avenger and a master of wrath. And then again for the third time, Yahweh is an avenger against his foes, and he is a rage ranger against his enemies. So Assyria has become enemies with God. For all the kingdoms of the earth that are trying to prevent God's kingdom from coming are in league with the devil. For the devil is the ancient evil foe. He's the one who tried to bring all of humanity over to his side in constant, utter rebellion eternally. But it's God who comes to separate us from Satan, to deliver us from slavery to sin. And so Satan is the enemy of God. And those who try to prevent God's kingdom from coming are in league with the devil. 
So this is bad news for them, but good news to the people of God. Now, again, Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, which is kind of like Exodus sequel volume two, Moses gave them that song in Deuteronomy 32. And it's in Deuteronomy 32 where he says, vengeance belongs to Yahweh. Where specifically Yahweh speaks in the first person through the mouth of Moses saying, vengeance belongs to me. Now, this is in Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. So chapter 32, verse 35. And he goes on to say, and also recompense. For at the time their foot slips, because the day of their disaster is near, and the fate comes quickly for them. And then he goes on to say in verse 37, where are their gods, their rock in whom they took refuge? Then in verse 39, see that I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. This is good news for those who seek shelter in Him. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening. And may our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.